podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, we celebrate our 125th episode with the very first episode of The Shadow, The Death House Rescue. The Shadow made his radio debut in 1930 as the sinister host of the Detective Story Magazine Hour. The mysterious voice of The Shadow proved so popular that Street and Smith, publisher of Detective Story Magazine, hired writer and professional magician Walter B. Gibson to transform their radio host into the crime-fighting star of his own pulp magazine. The Shadow Magazine debuted in 1931 and quickly became one of the most popular hero pulps of the 1930s. The Shadow returned to the radio in 1937, starring Orson Welles as Lamont Cranston and Agnes Moorhead as Margot Lane. This version of The Shadow was given a new weapon in his war against crime, the hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so that they cannot see him. Described as a master of other people's minds, Orson Welles' incarnation of the Shadow sporadically demonstrated other mental abilities too, including hypnotism, telepathy, and ventriloquism. The Death House Rescue was written by Edward Hale Bierstad, with supervision from Shadow creator Walter Gibson. Bierstad was a novelist and playwright who in 1916 co-wrote Punishment with his wife Louise Berlay, a play about prison reform. By the 1930s, he regularly contributed articles to the magazine Mystery, the illustrated detective magazine, and wrote scripts for the long-running radio drama 20,000 Years in Sing Sing. Bierstad's first draft of the script featured Harry Vincent in place of Margot Lane. In the pulp novels, Harry Vincent was one of the Shadow's most trusted operatives, but producer and director Clark Andrews felt two male leads might confuse radio listeners and requested Harry Vincent be replaced with a female companion in order to provide a vocal and character contrast to Lamont Cranston. The Death House Rescue is Margot Lane's first appearance in any medium. The character of Paul Gordon was played by Bill Johnstone, who, in 1938, would replace Orson Welles as The Shadow. The character of Grace Gordon was played by Jeanette Nolan, who, ten years later, would play Lady Macbeth in Orson Welles' film adaptation of Macbeth. And that is officially all the trivia we can cram into this introduction. So let's listen to The Death House Rescue, first broadcast September 26th, 1937. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speakers. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. <laughs> the shadow knows. Blue Cole presents The Shadow, a man of mystery who strikes terror in the very souls of sharpsters, lawbreakers, and criminals. All 
signs point to a severe winter. Be prepared. If you want to be sure of even, dependable, healthful heat in any kind of weather, insist on blue coal. America's finest anthracite mined from the fields of northern Pennsylvania. The coal that has colored a harmless blue at the mines for your protection. Sit down. I told Albold to serve our coffee here in the library. I should rather go on the terrace. No, I prefer it here. Then let me see you smile. That frown is most unbecoming. Lamont, give it up. Give what up, my dear? Drinking coffee? I'm serious, Lamont Cranston. When I foolishly let you know that... Do you remember what you said? It will be exactly five years next week. But there's still so much to do, Margot. Well, then let somebody else do it. Don't you realize that you can't keep on like this forever? Someone's certain to identify you, and when that someone does, someone else is certain to kill you. Perhaps, but until they do... Oh, darling, stop frowning. I don't mean necessarily to give up your work, Lamont, but this other... Let the shadow just disappear and, and come out openly. Join the organized forces of law and police. Won't you realize, Margot, that my entire usefulness to the organized forces of law and police lies in my remaining outside those forces, in remaining always the shadow... Would they approve my methods? Would they believe in my science? You would make them believe. You could make them approve. And in doing so, reveal my secrets, my knowledge. Reveal them and eventually let them fall into the hands of organized crime. No, Margot. No one must ever know. No one but you. Why do you think I've devoted countless hours to investigating electrical and chemical phenomena? Why do you think I went to India, to, to Egypt, to China? What do you think I studied in London, Paris, and Vienna? except to learn the old mysteries that modern science has not yet rediscovered. The natural magic modern psychology is beginning to understand, and, well, magic that wouldn't seem so natural. I studied and learned for a purpose, my dear. All right, Lamont, I, I realize all that. But now, now the entire underworld has but one objective, to erase the shadow. And to me, that means... Until they know what the shadow is and who he is, what can they do? Stop and think how many criminals are either dead or in prison because of our activities. Why, even now, tonight, as we sit quietly here, somewhere an innocent human being may be in desperate trouble. Somewhere, perhaps, there is a problem that can never be solved. Except by the shadow. What did the doctor say, Grace? It was good news and, and bad, too, I'm afraid, dear. Well, whatever it was, dear, tell me. Well, he said the baby could be perfectly well again within a year. Oh, thank God for that. Poor kid. She's had a tough time. 
Well, what else? Well, this part isn't so good, Paul. She'll need treatments during all that time. Paul, treatments cost money. I know. Well, we'll have to manage somehow. You didn't do a very good job marrying me, dear. Darling. If I can only get a job. I've got my health and I've got brains. But no one seems to want them. Oh, they will, dear. They've got to. You're right about that. We're just about down to rock bottom. I've raised every cent I can on the house and car. There isn't anything left. You and I are still left, Paul. And we've got to take care of Sally. She's our daughter, Paul, and she's got to have her chance. She's going to have it. Somehow. Tomorrow I'll start out and take anything I can get. Darling, perhaps tomorrow things will break for us. Yes. If only they don't break the wrong way. Excuse me, but are you the boss here? That's right. I'm looking for a job. Nothing doing, buddy. I'll do anything. Wait on table, wash dishes, anything at all. I don't need any more help. Well, how about delivering things? I've got a car. Nope, I don't deliver nothing. Sorry, I don't need you. I see. All right. Thanks. Hey. Hey, you. What? You calling to me? Yeah, sit down. Have a beer. No, thanks. I, I don't drink. Anyhow, sit down. I made a friend of mine named Lefty. My name's Red. <laughs> Look at my hair and you'll know why. Well, I'm glad to meet you both. And Gordon's my name, Paul Gordon. Well, did, do you want to talk to me about something? We might. Might be able to help you out. Sounds like you're looking for a job. You bet I am. I, I need one. You know anybody that could use me? Maybe. We don't know you yet. So far as that goes, I don't know you either. So you read the guy smart. Yeah, maybe too smart. Now look here, Mr. Gordon. We need a car, and we need somebody to drive it for us. You understand? Well, I've got a car, and I can drive. Is it a good car? Has it got speed? I'll guarantee you up to 80. That's not bad. That's not bad. Now listen, kid. How about meeting us tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock? All right. Where? Well, let's see. Uh, We're going to... um... I got it. Right in front of the Uptown Bank. We gotta go there first to cash a check. Well, how about five dollars a day? That's over. But you'll remember, be there at nine o'clock, or you don't get no job. <laughs> don't worry, I'll be there. I'll be there at eight o'clock. Hey, buddy, you can't keep this car in front of the bank all day. I just see that sign, no parking. I'm not parking, officer. I'm waiting for a couple of men. I'm working for them. Oh. Hey, what's that? It sounds like shots in the bank. Hey, there. Oh, there he is. You got him, Lefty. Here he is with the car. Come on, you start that bus car. Step on it, fella. Hey, but you can't do that. Get gone. I will kill. Let him have it, Red. Hold him off. I'll hold him. Hey, come on back, will you? Look out! Up with your hands. 
Come on, get him up. All right, officer. I, I haven't got a gun. I wasn't in this. They made me drive the car. Yeah, keep your hands up just the same. Go throw the car, Charlie. Okay, Sarge. Well, fella, you might as well come clean on this. I haven't done anything. I tell you, I'm innocent. Hey, Sarge, I got it. Under the rear seat cushion, a bag full of bills and a gun. That's the gun that bumped off my buddy, Louie. And you say you're innocent. Yes, I am. Well, it'll take more than saying so to keep you out of the electric chair. The prosecution has piled up a mass of incontrovertible evidence, and I myself have no doubt of your guilt. Therefore, in accordance with the law, I direct that you be taken from here to the place from whence you came, and that there you be put to death in the manner stated by the law. And may God have mercy on your soul. Hey, who was that? Where's that line? Who laughed? Bring that person before the cops. Well, I... I don't know where he is, Your Honor. The laugh came from over there. In that corner. Yes. Yes, Your Honor, but... There's no one in that corner. Only... A shadow. <laughs> Go to sleep, dear. Mother will be right here in the next room. Oh, God. Please help me. Help me. I don't know what to do. Yes? Who is it? My name is Margot Lane. I have a message for you, Mrs. Gordon. You're not a reporter, are you? No, I'm a friend. I've come to help. Oh, then please come in. What is it you want, Miss Lane? Mrs. Gordon... Your husband has a friend who's going to help him. Here's a thousand dollars in cash. That's for you and Sally. A thousand? Who was it sent this to me? For that, I can't tell you. But the message with it is not to lose hope. Oh, but there is hope for Paul, then. The man who sent this to you never fails. Who is he? For that, I can't tell you. But Miss Lane, you know him. Sometimes I wonder whether I do. I love him. But I wonder whether I know him. What do you mean? It's hard to tell whether I really know the man or only his shadow. Well, Lefty, tonight the fall guy goes to the chair. That's what he gets for being a sucker. Yeah, there's not a clue that even points our way. Not even a print. We had gloves on all the time. You had yours off for a minute when you were sitting next to him. Yeah, but uh, I didn't touch the wheel. Then we ain't left a clue. You think so? Who said that? You, Lefty? No, I, I thought it was you. It was I. You cannot see me. Who are you? And where are you? I am here in the room. In the shadow. You have pinned your crime on an innocent man. He shall not suffer, but you will. I don't know who you are, where you are, but you're bluffing anyway. You got no evidence. We didn't leave a clue. You did leave a clue. A clue that will send you to the chair. Where was it? Where was it? You're lying. (laughs) 
Wouldn't you like to believe that? Keep thinking about it. Keep thinking about the clue that you forgot. <laughs> in the death house and is to die in the chair tonight. I am going to him now. We can still save him. Stand by for orders. In a few moments, we will return to the shadow. But before we do, let me stress this one fact. For home heating, anthracite is best. And America's finest anthracite is blue coal. Anthracite is the healthful fuel. It gives steady, uniform heat that helps prevent colds and cuts down doctor's bills. For with anthracite, there is no quick chilling of the house, such as you get with fuels of the on-and-off type, or with quick-burning fuels that flare up and burn out. Bear in mind that heating plants in this part of the country were especially designed to burn anthracite. So before that cold snap catches you unaware, call your local blue coal dealer. You'll find his name listed in the where to buy it section of your classified directory under the words Blue Coal. Call him tomorrow and order a supply of America's finest anthracite. Gordon, have you. have you got any work from the governor? I'm sorry, Gordon. The governor refuses to take any action. Thank you. I've got to go. Tonight? At 11 o'clock. What? What time is it now? Almost 10. Is there anything I can do for you? No. Thank you, Bob. Very well. These guards will move you to another cell. I'll be back in a little while. Ready, Gordon? Yes, Guy. We're just going to move you to another cell. <laughs> what does it matter? The one you're going to is nearer. <laughs> nearer to the chair, is that it? <laughs> All right. Let's go. All right, Gordon. Walk to the left. You'll be right here behind you. Now knock the door into this preparation chamber, Pete. Okay. Just a second. All right. Go on through, Gordon. Watch him, Pete. I'll shut the door. Oh. What's the use of all this trouble? What chance have I got now? I'm afraid you haven't got much, fella. Uh, I wouldn't say that. What do you mean? Holy smokes. Look behind you. Where? There. Oh. Well, too bad. I hated to do that, but there wasn't any other way, and he'll only be out for a while. Now, Gordon, listen to me. Hey. Where are you? I can't see you anymore. Where have you gone? Back into the shadow. Now, Gordon... We haven't much time. Listen to me. No crime is perfect. There's always somewhere a loose end. The only reason that all crimes aren't solved is because there's some one fact that someone knows 
and doesn't tell. And sometimes they don't tell because they don't know that they know. I told everything I know in court. They wouldn't believe me then. Because you couldn't prove what you said. We are going after the proof now. You and I. How? I'm going to think with your mind. I don't know what you mean. Don't try to understand. Just do as I tell you. I want you to concentrate, Gordon. Fix your mind on everything that happened that day. Make mental pictures. I'll see what you see. I'll try now. No. No, Gordon. Stop thinking about your wife and baby. How did you know I was thinking about that? I saw it in your mind. I see in my mind the pictures you create in yours. Oh, like television? Yes, or like mental telepathy or mind reading, hypnotism, whatever you choose. There's no time to talk. Stop talking. Think. I will. I will. I'm thinking now. The picture is getting clearer. That's better. Go on. The restaurant? The bar? Gordon, stop thinking about the electric chair. It blurs the picture. I'll try. I'll try. Ah. That's better. The car. In front of the bank. Yes. I see it. The policeman. The crowd. Yes. Wait a minute. The small man with red hair. He was the one you called Red. Yes. Yes. I see him. Crooked nose. Short. Glasses. I know that man. He's Red Sloan. I... I... It's hard to see. I know. Think for your life. Try hard. Yes. You started the car. The other, Lefty, was in front with you. Lefty. Lefty. See him for me, Gordon. Ah, yes. A scar on his left cheek. Why didn't you mention that in court? I... I forgot. Never mind. Concentrate. Yes. Lefty couldn't keep you covered with a gun and look back at the same time. What did he do? He reached up and twisted the rear view mirror. Now we've got it. Ah, that's the loose end. That's where his thumbprint will be. Gordon, now I can save you. You've told the truth. You didn't know. You knew. You're a fool for coming in here again. This is the place we picked up that kid that's burning tonight. What do you want to come in here for? This is as good a place as any, ain't it? Hey, telephone for you, Lefty. Telephone? Yeah. Maybe you never heard of it, but it's a great invention. But nobody knows I'm here. Well, somebody knows because they're waiting on the phone for you. It's over there on the wall. Okay. Don't be too long, Lefty. 
Hello? <laughs> hey, what are you laughing at? Who is this? Lefty. Did you ever hear of the shadow? Yeah. Say, what is this? Too bad about young Gordon. Isn't it, Lefty? What do you know about that? The shadow knows. Who are you? What do you want? I want justice. Justice for Paul Gordon, Lefty. And I'm going to get it. But you ain't got no evidence. No. Perhaps there are some fingerprints, Lefty. Oh, no. We had gloves on. There couldn't be no fingerprints. Did you have gloves on all the time? Yeah, sure. I did. You're left-handed. Now listen carefully, Lefty. When you were sitting in the front seat of Gordon's car, your gun was in your left hand. Remember? Say, you ain't nobody. I, it's just... Say, how do you know? What did you do with your right hand? My right hand? You took off your right glove, didn't you? No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, gosh, I'm going nuts. And you couldn't see the car that was chasing you because the angle of the rearview mirror was adjusted for the driver and you weren't driving, so... Do you remember... What you did? No, no, I didn't. I didn't take it off. Are you sure you didn't reach up with your bare right hand and turn that rearview mirror? Are you sure, Lefty? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. Maybe I did that. If the police find that fingerprint, you'll burn, Lefty. Just the way young Gordon's going to burn tonight. Goodbye, Lefty. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He hung up. No. No. I won't burn. Hey, Red. Red. It's Sidney Gab long enough. Say, who was the guy? Never mind that. Where's that car of Gordon's now? In his garage. I guess I heard his wife. Listen. What? I got a hunch. There's some fingerprints of mine in that car. Red, we got to wipe them off of there, or maybe we'll burn in that chair, too. Come on, let's go. I'm sorry, Miss Lane, but I don't see what we can do. But I tell you, Paul Gordon is innocent. The men who committed the crime are free. Where did you get this information? Oh, that I can't tell you. Uh, Miss Lane, Paul Gordon was convicted of murder by due processes of law. Tonight he pays for his crime in the electric chair. If the police listen to every crank who came in here claiming new evidence... But they can't send an innocent man to the chair. They can't do it. No, but they can send a guilty man. And according to the evidence, Paul Gordon is guilty. Commissioner, suppose that uh, afterwards, when it's too late, they discover that Paul Gordon wasn't guilty after all. And suppose I testify that the police refused to listen. Well, what do you want me to do? If it's within reason, I'll do that. I want Go you right. to send some men to that garage. I want you to catch the guilty men and see that justice is done. I'm frightened. Brace up, Gordon. It won't be long. Give your chin up, buddy. It's my turn next. <laughs> Come on, fella. Good luck. Goodbye, kid. Where, where is he? He promised to save me. Who, son? I don't know. It was a voice. Just a voice. He... He said he'd stand by. Oh, steady, old man. Don't lose your nerve, Gordon. Open it up, men. No. I won't go in there. 
I didn't do it. I didn't kill him. I didn't, I tell you. He said he'd stand by. He's warden away. Only a few minutes more. Just a few minutes. Don't take me in there yet. Now, now wait, please, please. He said, please wait. Easy, Gordon. I'm sorry. If I go in that door, I'm gone. It'll be too late then. Take him in, men. No, 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 wait. Oh, where are you? Where's that voice? Where did he go? Please come back. Warden. Warden. Wait a minute, men. Well, what is it? Warden, wait. The governor's on the phone. He says, stop. Hold up everything. What'd the governor say? He wants to talk to you on the phone, Warden. He says, don't electrocute this man. They've got the other two guys in Gordon's garage trying to rub out some fingerprints. One of them was shot and died. But before he died, he spilled it all. This fellow didn't do it. It was a frame-up. Oh, thank God he got me in time. Gordon. Gordon. Did you hear that? Yes. Yes, I heard it. That voice said he would. I'm free. You're not going to electrocute me, Warden. You're not. No. No, Gordon. The governor saved you. Governor? No. It wasn't the governor. It was somebody else. Or something else. But what do you mean, Gordon? Who saved you? I don't know. It was a voice. Just a voice. I never really saw him. He was only... A shadow. Before another adventure with the shadow draws to a close, John Barclay, Blue Coal's heating expert, would like to say a few words. Mr. Barclay. Good evening, friends. If you're interested in having a more comfortable home this winter, be sure to call your local Blue Coal dealer. For he's more than a fuel dealer. He's an authority on modern home heating. You see, for more than six years, I've trained servicemen for these blue coal dealers. These men, known as John Barclay servicemen, have added thousands of families like yours to enjoy a greater degree of comfort and to save heating dollars, too. I'm going to read part of a letter typical of many received from satisfied customers using blue coal and John Barclay service. I quote in part, The service rendered by your John Barclay servicemen has been invaluable to me. We were burning a ton of coal a week and having great difficulty in keeping our fire going throughout the night. Your serviceman made me many helpful suggestions regarding the proper way to regulate the furnace and recommended the use of blue coal. We not only reduced the amount of fuel consumed to one half, but actually got more heat. Think of that, friends. In this case, a family cut their fuel bill in half simply by following the advice of a John Barclay serviceman whose services were given without charge. Now, you don't have to buy blue coal to benefit from John Barclay service. No matter what kind of fuel you're using or from whom you've been buying, if you have any heating problems, consult the blue coal dealer. You'll be very glad to place this John Barclay service man at your disposal to solve your problems. I thank you. The story you have just heard is copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. Real names are never used in these shadow stories. <laughs> the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs>
That was The Shadow and the story, The Death House Rescue, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was the very first episode of The Shadow, uh, and Joshua got a little... Uh, what's the word? Uppity. Uppity. <laughs> Brusque. When, when I said, oh, that was the first one? Yeah, I told you that in the email. <laughs> Tim, did you know that was the first one? I did one? not know I that was the first one. So, but it's interesting. I'll if, write shorter emails from now on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I read them, kind of. I, I follow I, the links. <laughs> uh, really, really cool that this was the first one, and I'm glad to actually find it out later. I'd listen to it with different ears because mm-hmm. of that, and I think I would have listened to it differently knowing... So stop giving us information. (laughs) (laughs) So this is our 125th episode of Morals, uh, Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, Mm -hmm. and it's a really good choice. I would say without any worry that I am wrong, that The Shadow is your absolute favorite of everything in old-time radio. I like The Shadow a lot. Yes, we can at least say that. (laughs) It's hard to choose between all my old-time radio children. (laughs) Uh, But... I love the shadow and I love Orson Welles shadow. So and this is exciting to talk about. If you it is. If you go back and listen to these podcasts and hear the progression of my love-hate relationship with Orson Welles, <laughs> there's a lot of things that I really admire about Orson Welles. How can you not? There's a lot of things I love about him. And there's a lot of things I really dislike about Orson Welles, from performance to him as a human being. Before we started doing this, I listened to a lot of Shadow, but all my Shadow is Bill Johnstone, middle to late 40s. I always went with sound quality. If, mm-hmm. if it got hissy or anything, I'm like, ah, I don't want to listen to that. So I had never listened to an Orson Welles shadow before this podcast. And that happened... Uh, a couple months ago with the three ago. ghosts. And that's when I said, oh man, the Orson Welles shadow is the best. <laughs> it is the best. Not only from his performance, and it's so much better than the other ones that I was listening to, but because of all of this stuff that he can do, they watered down the shadow over the next, after Orson left, to the point of... I don't know if I can go back and listen to those other ones anymore. Well, in all fairness, his powers come and go during the course of the Orson Welles run. And one thing I'll say, I've been listening through to the uh, Orson Welles Shadows in chronological order. (laughs) Um, And I think I've listened to the first roughly 20. I think there are about 40 some that exist of Orson Welles. And he is both the most all-powerful shadow and the most vulnerable and human shadow. And it changes sometimes within an episode, and it changes sometimes from episode to episode. Sometimes he can read people's minds and manipulate their thoughts, and other times he gets chased up a tree by dogs and stays up there for half an episode. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, there's some really big differences from episode to episode to how much power he has. I love, though, this idea of him being possibly evil in the sense of that no one in the public eye knows if he's good or bad. And, no man knows. And Margot is so worried about him yeah. and all of these things that are really sad that they disappear because that makes it a really interesting story. Well, strangely, a lot of those elements will come back into these kinds of stories 40, 50 years later. Um, Where comic book writers and movies want to explore this dark side of the character, you mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a neat moment here where he's describing some of his powers as science that our modern science has forgotten. 
which there seems to be a lot of in other episodes of Orson Welles Shadow 2, where they, they kind of want to really stress that this is not this is all not the mumbo supernatural. Jumbo. However, in this episode, he goes, uh, the natural magic modern psychology is beginning to understand, and well, magic that wouldn't seem so natural that I studied and learned for a purpose. So he's also mm-hmm. still holding back that, yeah, there's a little dark art to this. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting that the first episode ever started five years in to yeah. him being the shadow instead of like an origin story. Yeah. And it really captures Margot's fear of him being caught. She's been going through a lot mm-hmm. and she loves him. That's very rarely said. She states outright, uh, I, I love, love him. him. You get to a point in the later episodes, you're like, are these guys roommates or are they just <laughs> buddies? Or... Yeah. But this is a woman in love who is fearful of the man she loves and it creates this tension. That's... And when you find out it's been five years, she's been through hell. It also really conveys that he would never tell the secret to anyone unless he absolutely completely trusted them and the depths of what he feels for her. Yeah, it, it's much more dark and real. I would say that as they got into the run of the shadow, it started skewing uh, demographically younger because this is not for kids. Yeah, it's more emotional, uh, not just mm-hmm. the relationship between Lamont and Margot, but their almost emotional investment in freeing Paul Gordon. Mm-hmm. I love the scene in which Margot goes to Mrs. Gordon and gives her money. Mm-hmm. We're seeing all sides of how the shadow helps. Another moment character-wise that struck me was, so the daughter of the couple is suffering from something terrible that is unnamed. Yeah. The wife takes the daughter to the doctor and comes home and tells the husband the results. What struck me was, you didn't go with, <laughs> you're unemployed, and you didn't go with them to the doctor? Did I just dangle a participle? <laughs> did I say go with? I did. I just Minnesotan that. Yes, you did. <laughs> What'd you do that for? <laughs> That's how we talk here, people. This is 1937, so I mean, like, men They can't afford going... participles to be supported. <laughs> But men didn't go into the delivery room. Right, true. Why would they go to, like, checkups? (laughs) That's gross. (laughs) Right. But speaking of Paul Gordon, and this is something I did not recognize until I read about it later and had to go back and listen for it, that's Bill Johnstone. Oh, is it? He does such an amazing job as that character. You have to just strain to hear his voice in there because his shadow is so authoritative. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, square-jawed and heroic, and this is this desperate, fallible father. A, it's a great performance, but B, there's nothing of the future shadow in that role. John Stone doesn't get enough credit for no. his radio work, does he? He's He's in everything, in and he does a great job. So the story itself, first of all, you know me. God, there was a car chase scene. Yeah! <laughs> that was lovely. That, that whole scene was great. Um... The action in this was fantastic. Um, interesting, they didn't can the uh, Shadow's voice yet. When he became the Shadow, it wasn't that canned thing uh, well, it was, where it uh, sounds like it's on a telephone. Just parenthetically, too, this was the scene where when Lamont sneaks into the prison to get him into the room. That's a fantastic scene. Mm-hmm. When he changes his voice in the yeah. one line mm-hmm. from the prison guard to yep. the Shadow. And he uses his voice to help you visualize him turning invisible. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And I don't know if it's an effect, but I don't think so. I think that's just Orson Welles modulating his voice and stepping back from the mic. But yeah, the, the line's a little more blurry here yeah. between Lamont and the Shadow. Well, until he says, quote, 
It's hard to tell if I know the man or only a shadow. Or that was uh, Margo who said yeah. that. That's not a hard read there, Margo. That's given a lot away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he's the shadow? No, I didn't yeah. say that. But people don't really generally know who the shadow is yet. <laughs> in, in this so it kills me. The shadow. Oh, yeah, the shadow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I heard, I of heard about him. I do like also in the courtroom that they can see his shadow. That's something that's mm-hmm. lost. Yeah. He actually casts a shadow. I like that he can communicate with Margot via telepathy. Yeah, and later they sort of retcon that. I think it's very clearly telepathy here. In a couple episodes later, they establish that communication is through his radio he always says mm. Margot tune to the band the shadow always uses and so he communicates right. with her that's from the detective the, story the pulps the pulps yeah. where he had a network of people yeah because yeah, he says await powers. your orders right and here mm. that seems kind of strange because they clearly have a relationship <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. okay calm down shadow <laughs> <laughs> there's also and this is tiny but the shadow seems to have a butler or Lamont has a butler because he mentions yes. I, I don't hear what his name is it sounds like Abdul I don't think it is but I, he mentions someone yeah. bringing them coffee in it, either yep. in the library or the terrace and so he, he's just a wealthier name. man about town here. <laughs> it's always been the case with the shadow. Like, the guy has no visible means of income. You know, how are you pulling all this off is, is interesting. He's a trust fund kid for sure. And it's not a groundbreaking story, but I enjoy how it's really a story in which he has to figure out how to solve it bit by bit. It's not just about him showing up and telling someone he's the shadow. No. Which is what a yeah. lot of the later ones right. come down to. And then they admit their guilt because of fear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Here he's, he's doing some actual detective work using mm-hmm. his superpowers. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he has to get into the prison via disguise, which is different from later Shadows where he just shows up in locked rooms and we just assume he got in. But here we know he had to disguise himself as a guard to get time alone with Paul Gordon to mm-hmm. read his mind. That's a really fun scene. Well, that's the first time a Vulcan mind probe was ever used. (laughs) I love all the thoughts that get in the way. Don't think about your wife. Don't. Don't think about the prison shots. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Well, I also like the exchange of. Oh, it's like a television, or like telepathy. Yeah, like television. Okay. (laughs) Right. Look, I didn't go to the Mystic East (laughs) to learn about television. The mind meld, where that happens frequently in all the Star Treks when they do it. Like, you know, you're thinking about other things. Thoughts. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you're thinking about other things. Clear your mind and focus on, on me. So I, I found it possibly <laughs> stolen. <laughs> I'm going to think with your brain. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> now, maybe I watch too much modern day crime drama. But that was a terrible job of dusting for fingerprints on that car in the first place. <laughs> they, they missed <laughs> the rearview mirror. The mirror. <laughs> it's like, yeah, really? You didn't think? Okay. That would be uh, one of the first places you go. Things that are touched frequently in a car. <laughs> it's also strange how little the shadow participates in the climax of the story. He solves it. He lets people know what the solution is, and then we don't really hear from him again. Yeah, the police to address the criminals, the governor to address the death sentence. Yeah, because in later um, Shadow episodes, when Paul Gordon gets the call from the governor and he finds out he's free, the Shadow would just pop up to gloat and take credit, right? He'd just (laughs) chuckle in the background. But here, I was waiting for him to come back. His last appearance is when he makes a telephone call at the bar to Lefty. 
Which is also strange. Like, if you have the power to cloud men's minds, <laughs> why would you call them on the telephone? You have this tactic to intimidate <laughs> or people. Or telepathy. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, like, everybody's invisible on the phone, Shadow. <laughs> it sort of undercuts <laughs> your power. I totally was participating in that in my head. The phone wasn't plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> And it was awesome in my head. <laughs> right. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Something struck me in this episode that has never struck me before listening to any shadow. Here we go. All right. What's the point of the laugh? I've always loved the laugh. <laughs> the shadow knows any laughs, any laughs. It's obviously forced. He's not really finding yeah. anything funny. He's just trying to sound evil. Is that the it's point? It's strike it's fear in the hearts and disdain of for. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not a real laugh. Well, this is something I didn't get to fit into the intro. I almost had it in there, but Orson Welles, and you can hear it in his first laugh in the courtroom. He sounds like a dirty old man. It's, he's really struggling with the laugh, but he had a hard time doing the Shadow's laugh. The intro is Frank Reddick from mm. the early narrator Shadow because he had a hard time doing a cold Shadow laugh. Because it's, it's the courtroom, he's really like... <laughs> I was totally wondering like, <laughs> if this was some anti-shadow if the part of the reason he was describing his whole journey here is and there was the other guy <laughs> oh like that batman yes where his guy that taught him in the far east comes back and fights him on a train Raz al ghul yes oh yeah, yeah. they made that up for the movies that's not real <laughs> <laughs> just saying it's like that yeah what if there was another guy yes so Orson Welles struggles with the laugh, and occasionally he nails it, other times it is just a, a, a little <laughs> weird. <laughs> in general, though, it's a weird thing. Like, if I was the shadow and I came in a room and I just went, <laughs> That's like, what am I? Owl. It was, like, <laughs> it's like a siren or something, or some kind of calling card. I don't know. It just struck me it's, this time as, well, that's a weird thing to do. But then again, I also like the laugh. So. Yeah, it's a way to creep out criminals. And it'd be a little weird if he just came in and blew on the back of their necks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> just, <laughs> I confess. Don't do that anymore. Just wipes his wet finger on them. <laughs> Gives them wet willies. <laughs> oh... I will throw this to the vote and start with, I really enjoy The Shadow. I really enjoy Orson Welles' Shadow. I really enjoyed this episode. I love the more dark and real of these beginning years of it. There's no doubt because of what it started, because of what it became, that this is a classic and stands the test of time and is an incredibly important historically, this first episode, for a lot of reasons. And I think it's a lot of fun and action-packed and a great story. I think in a lot of ways, like Tim said, the relational aspects of the story and the exploration of Lamont's division between Cranston and the Shadow actually is very contemporary. Mm -hmm. Now, that totally stands the test of time because of its historical place. It's a classic. I think it's a really well-written story. Mm -hmm. I'm totally biased because I just love The Shadow, but <laughs> classic for sure. To have the first episode of any series start so strong mm -hmm. right. is impressive. The actual story beat itself, like that is a little by the numbers, but it's so well executed and its legacy is so vast that you just you have to call it a classic. I think being a story that was very simple uh, was 
secondary to establishing who the shadow was in this first episode. I think they spent yeah made time some room for that opening conversation. Yeah. All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. Come on. Go visit ghoulishdelights.com. Uh, you'll find other episodes of this podcast. <laughs> Don't breathe in my neck. <laughs> uh, you'll find other episodes of the podcast there, information about our live shows, as well as links to our social media pages, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, stuff like that. Um, you can also contact us via our contact page or leave comments on episodes. Yes, you can also go to iTunes and write a review. Tell people how much you like this podcast. If you have other opinions about the podcast, keep it to yourself, frankly. Um, <laughs> you can also uh, express your adoration through... Uh... If you don't like it, this is called This American Life. <laughs> <laughs> I wish people would confuse the two. <laughs> One star. Those three guys don't know anything. <laughs> Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Become a member of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. We appreciate the financial help because it's just a crushing burden, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're clearly having no fun at all. Right. Uh, so, coming up next, we're going to be doing 126 of our podcast, and we're going to be doing. Another shadow. Surprise, it's now becoming a shadow podcast. <laughs> Tell them why. This is a listener request, and we've decided to make it a, a shadow <laughs> double feature. And um, we will be listening to an episode of the Australian shadow called Out of This World. Until then, look out! Then we ain't left a clue. You think so? Who said that? You, Leffy? No, I, I thought it was you. It was I. You cannot see me. Who are you? And where are you? I am here in the room. <laughs> <laughs>